0: Hey, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever had this urge to do something that's just not the wisest thing to do, you know? Yes. Maybe it's not wise. Maybe it's just not the right thing to do. In fact, maybe it's just downright immoral, and yet you have this urge to do it. You may be thinking, yeah, I know I shouldn't have that drink, but I really want to. Or I know I ought to live within my means, but I really want to buy that, right? Yeah, I know I ought to stay faithful to my spouse, but I really want to have a relationship with that person. Yeah, I know I ought to wait until I'm married, but I really don't want to wait. Yeah, you know, I know I ought to trust God with my life, but in this one area of my life, I want to do things my way. And we can experience this tension between what we want to do and what we ought to do. Have you been there? Amen. We've all, we've all been there. As Will said, we're continuing in our series when life is tough. And today we're going to be looking at temptation. How do we deal with temptation in our lives? Recently, the Barna Group conducted a survey entitled Temptations in America's Favorite sins. And they went ahead and surveyed a number of people. And and these are the common temptations among Americans. Here they are. Worrying, greed, anxiety, eating too much, drinking too much, sexual immorality, gossiping, and being lazy among others. And they posed this question to the respondents. They asked this question, hey, why is it that you give in to temptation? Doing those things you know you ought not to do. Why do you do that? And here's some of the responses that came in. To escape or get away from real life, to feel less pain, to be less lonely, it just makes me feel better. And what they're all saying is I give into temptation because it's a quick fix. It meets a deep physical and emotional need today. And you know what can be a bit tricky about temptation is that oftentimes, not always, but often that desire, that need can be legitimate. There's nothing intrinsically wrong with it, but the problem is the manner in which we go about achieving it. Let me me give you a couple of examples. Maybe you're here and you're single and you really desire to be married. Hey, there's nothing wrong with marriage, right? God's all for marriage. But you desire it so strongly, you, you start worrying, thinking, I'm getting older, I'm getting older, I really need to meet somebody, and you're tempted to overlook some glaring character flaws in the other person. Or maybe you desire sexual intimacy hey, God's all for intimacy. There's nothing intrinsically wrong with that. But you desire it so strongly that you're willing to pursue it in a way that is not honoring to God outside of the marriage covenant. And so oftentimes, temptation is pursuing a legitimate need in an illegitimate way. As one theologian put it, temptation is an enticement to take our God-given desires beyond their God-given limits and we can experience this incredible tension between what we want to do and what we ought to do and for some of us the tension can be so intense that we think the only option is to give in to temptation well in the passage i want us looking at today in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 13 Paul is telling us you don't have to give in to temptation And he's speaking to a group of Christians there in Corinth. Now, the Corinthian Christians struggled big time with their faith. They kept giving in to temptation. They kept sinning. And Paul's saying, you don't have to do that. You don't need to give in to temptation. And this is what he said to them. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so you can endure it. Now, there's just two points I want to take from this passage today. And if you're taking notes, point number one is this. Temptation is common and it can harm you. You know, there's a a line from a popular country music song that says this. Lead me not into temptation. Temptation. I can find it all by myself. Isn't that true? It's all around us. It's universal. And Paul here is saying it's common. So don't be surprised if you're experiencing temptation to do that, which you know is not the right thing to do. We all experience temptation in one form or or another. Now, obviously, what you're tempted with may be different than what I'm tempted with and and vice versa, but, but it's universal. We all experience it. But notice in this verse, there is a warning tucked in. Look at verse 13a. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind, meaning common temptations can take you down. They can take you down. And the reason for that has everything to do with the source of temptation. So let's, let's probe that a bit. Where does tempta- temptation come from? Where does it come from? Excuse me. I'm getting over a cold, and I'm just, I got some dry moth. Excuse me. Where does temptation come from? Well, let's look first at where it doesn't come from. Look at James chapter 1, verse 13. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. So James is saying, hey, listen, listen, listen. With your temptation, don't blame God. God's not gonna tempt you to do bad. He's not gonna tempt you to do things that are unwise. He's not gonna tempt you to do things that are evil. That would go against the very nature and character of God. But sometimes we wanna blame God. In fact, if we go all the way to the beginning, to the story of Adam and Eve in the book of Genesis, remember when God said to them, do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and what did they go ahead and do? They went ahead and gave into the temptation and they ate that proverbial apple. And when God confronted them, what did Adam say to God? "Hey, Hey, God, things were just fine when it was just me and you, God. I mean, come on now, things were fine. I was doing just fine until you made her. And she came around with the apple. Come here, Adam. Coochie, 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 You know? And he's like, God, it's, it's your fault for making her and it's her fault for tempting me. It's not my fault. Eve, what did she say? The devil made me do it. It's not my fault. The snake made me do it. You see, the blame game's been going on since the beginning of time, and and sometimes, sometimes we respond the same way. She seduced me. Hey, God, you made me this way. You gave me these desires. Hey, I'm prone to addiction. Hey, I've been going through a hard time, and I just needed some relief. You see, all of us want to hear these four words. It's not your fault. When we're tempted and when we give in to the temptation, but the Bible says it's, it's our fault. Look what James says in verse 14. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own, get it, their own evil desires. I know I shouldn't think that. I know I shouldn't feel that. I know I shouldn't do that, but I want to. And we're enticed. We're dragged away by the desires that flow out of our own hearts. It's the old sin nature. The Bible refers to it as the flesh And all of us have this tendency in the flesh, this tendency to do that which we know we ought not to do. In fact, you remember that vivid description that Paul gives in the seventh chapter of Romans when he talks about the war that goes on between the spirit and the flesh. And he says, the things I don't wanna do, I end up wanting to do those things. And the things I know I should do, I don't do those things. And he screams out, oh, what a wretched man I am. And what Paul is referring to, there is the flesh, and that's what James here is referring to as well. Out of our own hearts flows this desire. See, one of the sources of temptation is our sin nature, our flesh, the Bible tells us. But behind the scenes, there is one lurking, and he's the devil. And the Bible tells us that he tempts us all the time. In fact, Paul refers to him as the great tempter in his ultimate objective. You know what it is? To entice us. You know, that word entice is a fishing term. It's this image of a fish being hooked and then dragged away from the retreat. So go with me, go with me on this. Imagine in your mind's eye, imagine that the devil Is a fisherman. And in front of him lies all these enticements, all this bait. And just like a good fisherman knows exactly which bait to use for which fish, the devil knows our weaknesses. He knows those temptations that we struggle with, and he just goes to the enticements. And let's just say, let's just say that one of your temptations, one of your weaknesses is greed, the love of money. And just imagine him hooking a crisp $100 bill and he casts it into your mind's eye. And then you begin to think, why am I even here? Why am I listening to this? You know, I could be out there making some money. In fact, every time I come to church, all I do is just put money in the offering plate. I lose money when I come here. Or maybe it's late at night and you're by yourself and you're tired and you're surfing the web and the thought is cast to you, the thought of, hey, go visit that website. Nobody will know. Just go and visit that website. And you know, sometimes we're smart and we don't give in to the temptation. Do you think the enemy stops? No. He's gonna do what a good fisherman does when the the fish don't bite. He's just gonna reel in that line and he's gonna go to his bait. Oh, that's not working, but let's try this. And he'll do that all day, every day to you and to me. But you know, as I thought about that, I, I don't know if that's really an accurate depiction because I don't feel at times that, that I'm really being tempted one at a time. I feel like this. Are you, I don't know if you guys can, can, can relate to me on this, but this is what I feel like, okay? Literally, I feel like I'm bombarded by temptation. Do you feel like this? It's like everywhere, it's, uh, it's all over, and sometimes I'm blind by that, all right? It's, it's all over, and the reality is, and that's making all sorts of feedback, so I'm gonna take it off, and I can't believe it's a $5 bill. That should be like a $100 bill, maybe, and there's three things that are working, if you will, against us. The flesh, number one, the devil, number two, and then the world system that bombards us with temptation, which is this desire to do that, which we know deep down we ought not to do. Now, let me ask you a question. Is temptation a sin? No. Jesus was tempted in the wilderness. He never sinned. But you see, the problem is when we Look at that which is dangling in front of us, that temptation. We look at it. We think about it. We entertain it. We encourage it. And then we choose it. That's when we're hooked. And that's when the enemy draws us just a little closer to himself. And then look at what James says. In verse 15, then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. And then he says, do not be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Some years ago, some friends of ours were so excited that they were finally pregnant. It took them many years to get pregnant. They had a hard time. And so they were so excited about the joy that this child was going to bring them. And the pregnancy was going fine. Everything was going just fine until the very end when they gave birth. They gave birth to a stillborn baby. And as you can imagine, the pain was overwhelming, the agony, the hurt. And James is using that kind of an illustration to depict to you and I the warning and the pain that giving into temptation can have over a lifetime. See, he says, after desire has conceived, meaning after we've seen that which is tempting us and we chose to give into it, that gives birth to sin. And just like in a pregnancy, when an egg is fertilized, it gives it's conceived. And in the example, in the illustration I gave you with our friends, the baby was conceived and everything was going just fine. You know, oftentimes when we give in to temptation, we don't think anything of it. And the reason is because oftentimes everything seems to be going just fine. We still have our family, we still have our finances, we still have our job, we still have our friends. And nothing seems to have changed. And so we're more prone to just give in to it again. But James says, when sin is full grown, that gives birth to death. See, when we give in to temptation, when we do that which we know is the wrong thing to do, when we do that which is not pleasing to God, listen, and we do it day in, and day out, and day in, and day out, and day in, and day out, and day in, and day out, we will find ourselves so far from God's will that it will hurt. It will hurt us. It will hurt those who we love, and it will hurt our faith. In fact, we can behave ourselves so far from God that we begin to question our faith. James is saying, do not be deceived. Do not be deceived. See, temptation is common, and it can hurt us. It can harm us. Well, let's pivot now and look at the hope that Paul gives us in this passage. Point number two, temptation can be endured in Christ. Temptation can be endured. Look at what Paul says in the verse. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. That means any temptation you're going through right now in the faith, listen, you can bear that. Any temptation you face in the future, you can bear it. And he says, but when you are tempted, he will provide a way out. Now, you've got to ask yourself the question, what does that mean he's gonna provide a way out? Is it that all of a sudden my temptation is just gonna go away? No, I don't think that's what it means. Is he gonna provide me a secret passageway so I can escape all temptation? No, no. Hey, if I see that temptation and I'm about to go ahead and choose it, does he come around and just smack me upside the head and say, don't do that? Sometimes I wish he'd do that, you know. No, he's not going to do that. It goes against his very character. He gave us freedom to choose. So what does it mean? What does it mean that he will provide a way out? Now, don't get mad at me. I'm going to give you such a simple answer to this. You know what it means? It means that he will provide a way out when we trust him, when we put our confidence in him. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. You see, God is the way out. Author and pastor Andy Stanley said this about temptation, the question behind all of our temptation is a question of our confidence in God, that God is more preferable than the sin that is tempting us. You see, when you trust God, when I trust God, what does that mean? It means that I will trust that God will provide, that God will protect, that God will give me peace, that God will give me the desires of my heart and he will fill that deep physical and emotional need I have. Listen, more than that which is tempting me away. Than that which is tempting me away. The question behind all temptation is our confidence in God. Now, I wanna give you four practical steps to think about in trusting God to overcome temptation, okay? People that trust God to overcome temptation, number one, depend on his grace. Oh, that's so big. Because we all fall short of God's glory. Every one of us have sinned. And we all need the grace that comes through Christ. Every one of us do need that. But I believe there are some here today that are thinking, man, I'm so far from God. You know, when you said giving in to temptation day in and day out and day in and day out, that's me. And you may be thinking right now, man, if only you knew the things I've done, the places I have been, there's no way that God wants to hear from me. I'm too far gone. Listen. If you're thinking that right now, I'm telling you who's putting that thought in your mind. It's the enemy. He's tempting you with doubt. You're never too far gone for God. His grace is always sufficient. That's why I love the story of the prodigal son, that parable that Jesus gives us. You know the story of how the son takes his inheritance early from his father. He goes off to a far-off land. He squanders the money. He lives a life of sin. He finds himself dead broke, and then he begins to wish that he was back home with his father. And he too thought he was too far gone, but he humbled himself, and he walked back to his dad. And you remember how his father responded, right? When his father saw him come back, he embraced him, he hugged him, And he was so excited that he came back and that's exactly how our Heavenly Father works. We need to depend on his grace. It is sufficient. And if you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, today is the day. And if you've accepted Christ as your Savior and you just feel you've behaved your way so far from him, he's waiting with open arms. People that overcome temptation, people that trust God to overcome temptation are people that depend on his grace. Number two. Refocus your attention on Christ. You know, I never, I've never seen this in the Bible, resist temptation. I've never seen that. I think the reason for that is because if we try to resist something, we end up doing it more. It's like psychology 101. The more you try to block a thought, the more you drive it deeper and deeper and deeper in your mind. Don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. I want to do it, I want to do it, I want to do it, right? Maybe that's why diets don't work, I don't know. You're always thinking about food, right? So rather than resisting, refocus. Refocus away from the dark to the light. Refocus away from the bad to the good. Refocus away from that which is tempting you to Christ. You know the passage, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Has this ever happened to you? Have you ever been driving to a certain destination and you are just so focused on getting there? Maybe you're a little late and you're, you're just so focused on getting there. And on the opposite side of the road is a friend of yours. And they're hitting the horn and they're hanging out the window and they're waving and you don't even notice. And then they call you later in the day, and say, man, didn't you see me? What, are you mad at me? No, I, I didn't see you. Man, I was waving and I was hanging out the window, waving at you and you just, you just blew me off. Oh man, I'm Sorry. I was just so focused on getting to my destination. You know, that's what we're talking about here. See, when we're focused on Christ, the temptations don't go away. You just don't notice them as much. Refocus on Christ. Number three, rely on his word. Oh, that's so important to overcome temptation. The Bible does say resist the enemy and he will flee. Resist the enemy and he will flee. Remember that fishing illustration I gave just a little while ago? And I said, if you're not biting on the bait, he's just gonna reel it in and do it again and do it again. Well, there's some, there's some truth to that, of course. But you know what? If you just don't bite, just like a good fisherman, he's gonna move spots. He's gonna just change where he's fishing. And if you resist the enemy, eventually he's gonna flee. He's gonna leave you alone. And the Bible tells us in Ephesians 6, it's a great passage. I don't have time to get into it. It talks about the spiritual battle that is going on right now between good and evil. And Paul in that passage tells us to clothe ourselves with the armor of God. This is how we resist the enemy, clothe ourselves with the armor of God. And the last tool, if you will, in the arsenal, the last weapon he explains is the sword. And the sword, it's the only offensive weapon, by the way, in the Arsenal, if you will, is the word of God. When you're tempted, run to the word. When you're tempted, meditate on the Bible. Memorize scripture. That's exactly what Jesus did when he was tempted in the wilderness. Every one of those temptations, Jesus said this in response to the devil, it is written. And he quoted from Deuteronomy 6 and Deuteronomy 8. Very very important. People that trust God to overcome temptation, number four. Humbly reveal your struggle to a godly friend or a support group. Listen, if you're losing the battle to a bad habit, to an addiction, most likely you're going to need some help and you're finding yourself in this cycle of good intentions, and then you cave into the temptation, and then you have regret, and you just do that over and over and over and over again, you're most likely going to need some help. In fact, I think there's some temptations that you just can't do alone. You need some help. You need some people praying and encouraging you and counseling you and holding you accountable when you just can't break that addiction that bad habit. Now, listen, that's not easy to do, right? I mean, who likes to just go around and say, hey, I've done these really bad things over the last 10 years of my life, right? No one likes to do that. When Adam and Eve sinned in, the, in, the, in Genesis, in the garden, in the beginning, when they gave in to the temptation, what did they do? They hid. And that's what we want to do. We want to hide. We, wa- we want to kind of just... Put it under the rug, if you will. But look at what Pastor Rick Warren said about this. I think this is great. He says, hiding your hurt only intensifies it. Problems grow in the dark and become bigger and bigger, but only exposed to the light of truth will they shrink. A few years excuse me, a few weeks ago, I was talking to my friend John. He's a young man in his 30s. He lives out of state. And for a number of years now, we've been trying to connect at least once a month, sometimes once every two months. He's a wonderful young Christian man. In fact, it started as a mentor-protege relationship. But I think John has been mentoring me more than I've been mentoring him. And when we were talking this past month, I referred back to a conversation we had had a few years prior. It's when John told me of his struggle with pornography. It was a stronghold in his life for about 10 years. And when he became a Christian, he realized, man, I need to stop doing this. But he didn't stop. And he said he would still be tempted and he would still give in And it wasn't until about a year after he came to faith that he said, enough is enough. And he said, I can't do this anymore. I need help. And John put every one of these into practice. He depended on God's grace. He refocused his attention on Christ. He relied on God's word, every one of these. But he said, if I didn't have this one, I don't know if I would have made it. And John joined a group called the Avenue, a group of men that encouraged and prayed for him. In fact, they developed battle plans and they hold one another accountable. And he has been freed of that addiction for for years now. God will provide a way when we trust him. And so three weeks ago, I was referring back to that conversation because I wanted to ask him this question. I said, John, why'd you stop? Why did you want to stop? Of course, you knew it was wrong, but you know what? So many people know things they do are wrong. It doesn't mean they're gonna stop. What made you wanna stop? And this is what he said, and I quote, I knew God's way was better than this. I knew God would bless me if I stopped and his blessings are better than this. And then he said this. Now, he wasn't married at the time when he was struggling with pornography and he decided, I'm gonna stop. He wasn't married. This is what he said. I just felt God saying, until you clean your act up, I am not going to provide you the wife that I have for you. I'm not gonna provide you the wife I have for you because you don't deserve her. Man, that is so biblical, what he said there. You know what John said? He said, I trust God. I have confidence in God. His way is better than my way. The question behind all temptation is a question of our confidence in God. Jeremiah In the Old Testament, Jeremiah chapter 2 talks about this beautiful union that existed between God and his chosen people, the Israelites. There was a love relationship that they had, and he was reflecting back on that. And he said the people of God loved him, and boy, did God bless them. I mean, he led them out of Egyptian captivity he fed them daily when they were wandering in the desert for so many years. And he finally led them to the promised land that was flown with milk and honey. God blessed his people and his people loved him. And then he says, but all of a sudden the people of God began to turn their backs on God. And they begin to be looking up to the heavens and saying, who is God? And they began to think that their way was better than God's way. And this is how God responded to that attitude. Look at it with me. Through the prophet Jeremiah, my people have exchanged their glorious God for worthless idols. Be appalled at this, you heavens, and shudder with great horror, declares the Lord. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Now get the picture. God is saying this to the Israelites, you're leaving me an oasis, a spring of living water, to go off and dig a hole, a cistern's a holding tank, You're gonna go off and dig a hole and then you're gonna go find water and then you're gonna pour the water in the hole only to find out the hole leaks. And you're left with nothing. And you're left to die from thirst. And he says, the heavens are looking down at the Israelites and saying, are you out of your minds? You're leaving God for that. You know, that applies to us today. The Bible says that God loves us and he has a plan for our lives. And he wants to give you and me hope, not only today, but he wants to give us an eternal hope that's found through Christ The Bible is a story about how God knows what's best for us and how he wants to give us what's best for us and how he has the power to give us what is best for us. But you see, it's conditional upon us trusting him. But when we want to turn our backs and say, God, my way, not your way. My way, not your way, and we're prone to give in to temptation and do things that are not pleasing to God. I want us just to remember this passage and just think when you're about to engage, when you're about to give in to that sin, I want you to think of the heavens looking down and screaming, Are you out of your minds? You're gonna leave God for that. Brothers and sisters, do not be deceived. Let's pray. Father God, your word is so powerful. And the truth pierces us, certainly, but the truth also gives us hope in Christ. And Father, my prayer for everyone here, Father, is that we would have the wisdom to hear your words and the courage to do what you tell us to do. And then we pray that, Father God, in the mighty name of Jesus, our Lord and our Savior. Amen.